Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Rickia, and this is episode number 182 of the podcast. It's the 25th of June, 2019, as I record this intro. And this week, I put together another compilation episode. These episodes definitely take a long time to put together, but I really love how the snippets of different conversations flow together to tell their own bigger story. And this week, we're diving into video games. I hope you find it both interesting and helpful as you explore unschooling. And before we get started, I just want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patrons, Melissa Mello and Ashley Geishen. Hi, guys. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it's integral to helping me freely share the podcast's growing archive of information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into unschooling and video games. Video games are a common topic of conversation in unschooling circles because when it comes to questioning conventional advice, this topic is a hotbed of widely varying perspectives. For me, when I find myself in that conundrum, I look to my reality. What does it look like for me, for my kids, and for my family? And with this episode, I'm widening that a little bit to ask, what does it look like for other unschooling families? Here, I've brought together snippets of podcast conversations with both unschooling parents and with grown unschoolers. So right now, take a moment. Maybe take a deep breath or two and just release any preconceived notions or judgments that you might have right now and relax into your curiosity, into beginner's mind, where you can contemplate the question, what if? Just open up. So first, let's dive into the topic from the parent's perspective. In episode 179, Joan Concilio does a great job of unpacking the kinds of questions we ask ourselves when we choose to journey beyond conventional wisdom. Here's what she shared when I asked her about her experience with video games. So I guess I would say, um, and I'm I'm trying to think of the best way to to kind of get into this. our family has always been into gaming. Now, it wasn't always video gaming. I was like a classic Nintendo person growing up. Like, I love that. I have capped out at 2D, though. Like, I remember going and playing some video game in the arcade where you have to, like, walk diagonally over a bridge 3D to go into the building to kill zombies. And I died every time because I fell off the bridge. Like, I didn't get to the zombies because, again, no, like, proprioception, no physical yeah. sense in me. So I was like, okay, that's not for me. still love classic Mario. Classic Mario on my phone. It's great. Um, But so we were a gaming family for a long time. We did Wii Sports together. Um, I definitely was an early adopter for cell phones because I was using them at work a lot. Um, You know, we we just were into things like that. I was doing computer things. I was working primarily online at one point. I had a full-time work job for a while. Um, so, So that stuff was always just around us. It's part of what we did. We played board games too. So just, just a lot of stuff like that in our family. So for us um, to sort of look at those things and say, um, what are the what are the things around this that are arbitrary? Um, that was kind of a next step as we started kind of unpacking things because we definitely were all into them. And I think we even realized pretty early on that these were totally learning tools. We were learning things. Ash was learning things. But 
I think early on we still had some really arbitrary restrictions like, well, you can't play more than, you can't play a game for more than an hour on the, you know, the Wii or something. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, then we got a PS3 and it was, um, well, you can't play any games that have shooting in them or, you know, whatever. And what we ended up with there was we really started to kind of unpack these ideas and we're like, what what is it that we're trying to get out? Like, what, what was our goal there? And our goal was like, well, we want you to... Um, we want you to be doing things that we feel are productive. I was like, well, wait a minute. So it's okay for me to sit around and play Candy Crush on my phone for a half hour in the morning instead of getting out of bed. But I'm like, I want you to be doing something productive 24-7. And also, who am I to judge what's productive or not? Like, so you, you start to like ask yourself these questions. And it was weird things that kind of came up out of video games naturally, stuff that just evolved for us that made us sort of not just be like, okay with it, not just like, okay, we don't really have arbitrary restrictions around gaming time. Um, okay. We're pretty okay with most games. It wasn't just stuff like that. It was when we started to realize that these were not just a thing that we allowed, but they were an actual tangible benefit in our family that we were like, Oh, right. This is cool. And I, I will say the biggest thing that tripped us on that in terms of like a light bulb going on was actually Ash really got into the Assassin's Creed series, um, which is, you know, like you're like an assassin and you travel through time and you have to like save people and kill people and whatever. You explore these places and there were things that would come up, like you're exploring this thing. And this kid in the game basically turns to the other kid. They're like looking at a display in a museum and it's like a helmet with horns. And the one kid says it's like a Viking. Oh, that's a Viking helmet. And the other kid turns to him in the game and says, but he didn't wear helmets like that. That's such a myth. And we went and looked that up, and it totally, like, that was like a two-day thing of us finding out that, like, most Vikings didn't wear helmets with horns on them. Um, I grew up thinking that. Like, that's what you see. Like, it's a movie Vikings. Um, but so it was, like, things like that. And then we spent so much time going from that to um, what did Vikings what were Who were the Vikings? Where did they come from? What's that culture like? And you start to, like, go down these rabbit trails, and it's not – it's not the game by itself, right? The game by itself was just this, the entry point into that. Um, there are games that are designed to be educational, but I, I always said, like, math with robots is still math. Like, that's – you have a kid who really hates math, and you're not like, oh, you gussied it up with some robots, and you're like, yeah, you know, it's not going to do it for him. But there are cool games that are legitimately by themselves educational. There's the Dragon Box app, which is actually an algebra there's an algebra version and a geometry version, but it absolutely plays like a game and it's, it doesn't beat you over the head with, now look, you've done, you know, a distributive property and, and algebra. So it, it, things like that are good and they help, but they're part of a context. They're part of like, okay, what did you see here? Um, what is that, you know, what can we explore? Um, one of the newer Assassin's Creed has this, um, it's a mode that you don't even like go through and kill people or anything. It's an exploratory thing. You can walk inside actual replicas of like the Sphinx and the Great Pyramids in Egypt. And it tells you all this stuff. Like this is where the tomb was. This is whatever for like King Tut. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to grab a drink. Thank you. So like you, you get to see these things. And again, the benefit to that, so that that's cool on its own. But where we really got benefit from that was not just we're going to park Ash in front of the TV for eight hours and be like, here, go at it. We don't care. Um, it was engaging with him with that stuff and saying, like, I see you're really interested in this. Tell me about, like, what you're doing here. Um, and, he, you know, he would be like, I'm exploring this house because I need to find this person. But the house is full of, like, artifacts from different, like, archaeological expeditions. And this is what's here. And I was like, well, what does that say about that, you know, suit of armor? And he'd go read it and, like, we'd talk about it. And so it was really a chance for us to um, have something that he really enjoyed. It was a chance for us to connect and to just, like, put some, put some things, put some topics in his path where he was like, oh, like, you know, this is, this is a really cool thing to, like, dive into more. But that only happens with that connection. <coughs> Excuse me. If you... Again, if you're just kind of ignoring your kids and your hands off and you're saying, like, go do whatever, um, that, that's not the same thing. And we eventually realized that many of the things that are considered, like, school subjects, we were 
seeing, covering, experiencing through video games, down to Wii Sports as far as phys ed. Like, Asher was doing more activity through Wii Sports than we had any of us in the family had done for months. I loved hearing how Joan unpacked her concerns around gaming and discovered how rich they've been for learning. Her experience leads us to wonder, what if video games can be a window to the world? So keep that in mind as we listen to this story from Sylvia Woodman from episode 109. My son, Harry, loves video games like that. Like, you know, like if, if we had to describe what we were doing with Korea, his curriculum is video games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for many months, he was very... Um, absorbed in the world of Fallout 4, which is one of these uh, post-nuclear apocalypse terrains. And Mm -hmm. there are missions, but there's also a sandbox kind of feature where you can kind of do your own thing in it. And, but there, um, it's sort of, the the storyline is sort of like, what if World War II had gone the other way? What if we were the ones that had gotten the nuclear bomb and things, you know, had fallen apart and um, people are scavenging and there's radiation and whatever. But also, what if time had sort of stopped then? So one of the, and this is like a kind of very minor detail of the game, is that there is a radio station and you can turn the station and there's different music. And most of the music is from the, the 30s and the 40s. And my son became really enamored with big band music. And his favorite song on the playlist was Anything Goes. So naturally, I said to him, oh, do you know that that's actually a musical? And then we were driving around town, and it turns out that one of the local high schools, that was their spring play. Mm -hmm. So then I said, oh, do you want to go see Anything Goes? And then it turns out that, oh, one of his friends from karate is playing in the pit band. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. So we got tickets, and we went. And I thought, okay, well, we'll go. I don't know if they'll like it. Maybe we'll leave it intermission, you know, because anything goes is like the finale to the first act. So I thought, oh, well, we'll go. We'll see anything goes. We'll say hi to his friend in the pit and then we'll go home. But they were totally involved in the story and they wanted to stay for the second act and they loved it and they had such a good time, you know. And and so that was sort of an unexpected turn from playing video games. Like not everybody would make the connection that, oh, if my kid plays video games, we might get to go see musical theater. I love hearing stories about how video games have led to so many other things. And the music connection is one that most of us don't even think of, certainly at first. Now, in episode 134, Virginia Warren shares her epiphany around the breadth of the video game experience when I asked her to share her perspective on video games. Well, um, my husband and I both... um, have loved video games since we were children. We're a little early on that, but we both, you know, not only grew up loving video games and playing video games as much as we could, we both became, you know, computer professionals. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't work outside of the home anymore, but my husband goes to work all day and works on computers and comes home and plays on computers. And everyone in my family likes games. My, uh, my, older daughter is gaming is definitely her main interest. My younger daughter loves games, but it's not her primary interest. And when she chooses a game, it's more about who she gets to play with than what game it is. Mm -hmm. It's more of a social experience for her. Um, And she spends, she spends a lot of time doing uh, digital art also and analog art. And here's a specific story. Um, my daughter, Lydia, my older daughter, is very, very, very into Pokemon. And the, the amount that she knows about the Pokemon universe, the Pokemon themselves, the lands, the, the history of uh, the company Game Freak and the creator of the original Pokemon game and how he used to catch bugs in Japan yeah. when he was a child. Like she's <laughs> her her I like to say that her knowledge of uh, of Pokemon uh, is not encyclopedic encyclopedic rather it is Pokedextrous. <laughs> um, but there was still you know 
Pokemon hit in 1996 when I was, uh, see, I was like four years out of high school. So I was 22. I didn't get into Pokemon when it first came around. If I had been a kid when Pokemon came around, I feel pretty sure it would have been my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't something I was into. It wasn't something that I knew anything about. It wasn't the type of game I really liked anymore. And there was still a part of me inside that at the same time I was going, wow, I can't believe how much she knows about this topic, how deep her interest is, how firmly lodged in her mind all of these facts are. Um, but I still had this snotty part of me that was like, well, I wish that she would be interested in something real or I don't know. And I was having this crappy thought one day and I don't know why it was any different than it ever is, but I was finally able to perceive the fact that that interest Pokemon is real. It employs thousands of people. It creatively fulfills artists and musicians and computer programmers and writers who create it. It's a work of art. It creates jobs. Tons of people make money. Tons of people have fun. Even if there was nothing else good about it than all the pleasure that it's brought to people, it would still be wondrous. And it's done so much more. And that's just one game. I love that. Video games really are a window to so many things in the world. Now, let's go back to episode eight, the second Q&A roundtable, and a concern I've seen expressed pretty regularly over the years. Here's the question we received from Jamie. I have been getting the message that if I continue letting my kids play video games as much as they like, then they won't have any imaginations or they will lose their creativity. Where's the proof? Now, I'll start with this one because I don't. <laughs> I was just curious. Um, I'm, the question is, where's the proof that they will be losing their creativity imaginations? Well, I don't agree that they will be. And I certainly don't see any proof of that in my own children. If anything, it, it was just fodder for all their creativity and imaginations. I think if, um, if you flip it, though, maybe um, the people that she's talking to think they, too, are seeing proof of it in their own children because their children may be using video games and TV and stuff um, more as an escape from uh, all the expectations and things that they have to do with their days. So they are using it to zone out. So they may look like, you know, kind of they're turning off or they're losing their imaginations and, and everything when they're playing with that from that perspective. But that's not the mindset that unschooling kids bring to those activities. I th Somebody else I, want to jump in? <laughs> I think that that is a really important point. And I think, you know, that's kind of where people see they're, they seem, think they're looking at the same thing, but it's really so different because what we mm -hmm. saw was really what you said. Like I saw them, you know, engrossed in video games and television. And then you would see how it would just this rich play would develop from that outside other places in their writing in things they would be doing stories they would be telling and it just it was really just fodder but again they weren't needing to escape from difficult day at school or from other things like that which you know I've been known to use tv for that I love watching tv and it is kind <laughs> of a, a time of quiet for me you know it's like I'm just sitting I don't have any responsibilities I'm engrossed in the story and so I, I felt like my kids used it very different than even I did. But yeah, so I thought that's an interesting point. I've never been anything but in complete awe watching my children play video games, <laughs> their minds. Yeah. And if anyone took the time to nurture and encourage their child's interest in video games and jump in and talk to them about it, look at the magazines with them about it, listen to their, their victory stories and their frustration stories, 
you know, they would also walk away just feeling uh, completely impressed with their brains. And this is, I, I bring that up all the time because being a library director, you know, I get parents dropping comments about stuff. There was a child in yesterday with a handheld and the mother said something about, you know, how he should put it away and everything. And I just always say, uh, you know, I, I'm so impressed with the child's brain that they can do what they're doing on these games. So that's one way that I always looked at it. And and the whole proof thing, uh, you know, like you were saying, I'm not sure if she was looking for proof that it was deteriorating the creativity and imagination um, or looking for proof uh, that it wasn't. But, mm-hmm. you know, the thing, there is no proof in anything besides what we see and feel in our own children. Right. And that comes from a place of trust and getting being involved in their amazing passion with them and be, being a part of joy with them. And that's how we can see the full richness of it instead of just the outside surface view of it. Um, Jacob, Jacob and Sam are 21 and 25 and it's still happening. I mean, they're, <laughs> it's been happening their whole lives. And every time they get together, it's still their point of connection. And they go off in this other world that, you know, is just amazing to me with their language and their, you know, conversations and everything. And most of all, for me, it's a beautiful thing to see that this is how they connect each other, even as young adults. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I have a friend, um, Pat, whose son is very into video games and Pokemon and things like that. And one one of the things I love about her is that when, because this does come up a lot with people asking, you know, oh, they have just this focused interest in be it a game or Pokemon. You know, she is so excited about it because she has spent that time and has engaged with her child doing that, that she just, you know, suddenly becomes telling them how, what an amazing world it is and how complex it is and how it's impossible to remember all the things. But yet these kids know all the different Pokemon and all the different things. And her enthusiasm really sets the stage, I think. So I think that's really helpful tool for parents to just realize, share that joy that your kids have, be involved with it, be able to share it with other people. And you'll see kind of this, huh, you know, from other parents, like, gosh, I never knew that about it. Or, yeah, I never really thought about that piece. And so sometimes that's a helpful tool. And, and one other piece that uh, I find really interesting is the idea of creativity, too, because creativity isn't coming up with random ideas out of nowhere. Right, right. Creativity <laughs> is taking in so many things from around you and then finding new connections, finding new ways to look at things. So when they're playing and when they're watching and when they're doing all these things, they're bringing in new pieces that are going to, you know, be fodder that they can use for their creativity, not not dampen it. Right, absolutely. <laughs> and because it's coming into themselves and who they are it's going to come out as their expression of it and you know much of Jacob's art is inspired by uh video game art and everything and that's uh, you know what he always loved first and foremost so it's yeah it's I I know no other thing that expands my kids imagination and creativity more than video games so many unschooling parents I've spoken with have had that same experience Playing video games has been inspiring for their children in so many ways. Now, I've pondered this idea for a while, and I think that maybe we get thrown off because one of the first ways many of us approach learning is to copy things we like. We try to draw the art we like, write like the stories we like, kids act out the scenes they see, and so on. So at first, it may look like they aren't being imaginative, but really, that's about learning the foundational skills. That's about having something concrete to compare our progress against along the way, to guide us. But soon, we take off those metaphorical training wheels, and games are an amazing playground of inspiration. So now let's go to episode 68 and my conversation with Terry DeMarco. It's a wonderful episode focused on technology in general, but I thought I'd pull out our discussion around another concern I see mentioned regularly, a child getting upset when they're asked to stop playing a video game. So often we're quick to blame the game, but is that what's really going on? 
So I'm really, I think it was because I was in sales for my career, but I'm really good at putting myself in other people's shoes. And I've always Mm -hmm. kind of done that. So, and I know when I'm in the flow and I'm doing something, you know, doing research or a task that I particularly enjoy, um, I bristle at interruptions. You know, sometimes I'm, you know, nice about it. Sometimes I'm not so nice about it, but it, it, you know, it doesn't, take much to realize that kids are having the same thing, right? And I yeah. think that it's even worse if the limits arbitrarily assigned, right? Oh, you've had your hour, right? So, oh, yeah. you know, because that just seems, number one, you know, I, I never try, I never impose a rule on my children that I wouldn't want imposed on myself. Um, and that's been a good guide marker for me. Um, so, um, but I also think that, um you know, we've always had the rule here that when we're transitioning into something else, like we do have to go to a dentist appointment or go do something, you know, my kids are always allowed to finish what they're doing before we move. So I'm, it requires me to be a little bit more, you know, ahead of the game, like give them a half an hour, 45 minutes notice that, you know, we have something coming up. But they always have, we always have given that, given them the respect to say, hey, finish what you're doing. So they can finish the game, they can finish the project, they can finish the call, whatever it might be. Um, And we're pretty flexible with that. Um, So we tend not to see a lot of anger um, coming off when we do have to come off. Um, But we also, our kids really manage their own time Mm -hmm. on computers. Um, So, you know, at least I understand where that comes from. Um, But again, I think this comes back to de-schooling. Right. Um, yeah. You know, really thinking about, you know, instead of just assuming, you know, like I think the only people who might say, hey, my kid's addicted to this are people who already have issues with the use of technology in their house. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think that, again, we chatted about it before, but if I have an, an, an agenda or if I have a, an energy about the use of technology, my kids feel it. And I don't have to say a word, but they get mm-hmm. it right Um, so I think we have to own our own energy. Um, but you know, the values in our society are about balance and moderation and technology generally, when you see it used by kids is not that right. They tend to deep dive and are very happy and joyful. Uh, So, you know, I think that for those of us who are brought up with balance and moderation as kind of a family value, um, we get uncomfortable with excess you know, excess in anything, excess in food, excess in um, joy, you know, when kids are too happy, mm-hmm. you know, I think people get uncomfortable <laughs> sometimes, right? Um, you know, and I, I think that, you know, kids are just trying to figure out, they always want to come to the stasis of joy, right, or happiness. Yeah. And they'll, they'll get there, sometimes even, you know, they'll force themselves there, because they always seem to want to get to that equilibrium. And if we just let them get there, they chill out. They relax a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's um, a cool way to look at it. Yeah, that's true. And and when you think about it too, because technology, there was a couple of things. Because technology is um, so new to us, even right mm-hmm. as adults, we didn't grow up with it. We can even take those messages around us of, of balance and, and fear of too much technology and, and slam ourselves with it too. Right. So right. part of, part of this, at least part of it for me was first um, coming to terms with it in my, my own use and realizing, you know, no, I'm choosing this because, and I'm getting A, B, C, D out of it. <laughs> and then this is what I'm doing. And the other piece is um, when we talked about, you know, screen time in general, how that is composed of so many different things is also realizing that, okay, yeah, you could say screen time and and you could say hours, but you know, I was communicating on my phone. So I was texting with my kids, you know, cause my kids are older right. and maybe I was watching a DVD for some research and, you know, looking up recipes on the computer. Like we're using it now for so many different things that that's one of the challenges of putting it 
all under this misnomer of screen time because then all of a sudden it looks powerful, right? Rather than taking a moment to actually dive in and recognize all the multiple ways that you're using different technologies. Well, right. And I think, you know, I I have, and I don't see maybe this much in the unschooling space, but in the conventional world where parents are sitting on their computer and yet telling their kids they can only use an hour. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, and and I'm always like, you know, I I think that's disingenuous, right? You know, that we shouldn't have double standards, you know, that if if I truly have an issue with my children using technology, then I should really be owning how much I'm using it. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I also think that greatness comes from passion, right? And I've met, you know, through my husband and because I think he works in his passion and I, he has many friends who also are somewhat passionate about what they do. And they all um, tend to excel at the things that they're passionate about. And mm-hmm. I think greatness comes from passion. And passion in general, when you meet someone who has had great success or is, is very passionate, they rarely have balance, Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't see many, you know, you don't see like Michael Jordan, you know, basketball player. I doubt he had a lot of balance in his life. Right. And a lot of moderation. And from what, you know, Carol Dweck says in her book, he practiced basketball all the time. Right. And I see Mm -hmm. that, you know, with Ed, Ed, he codes a lot. You know, he's on the computer a lot. It's just what he does. But he's really good at what he does, right? And I think when I've met people, musicians who are really good at what they do, they play their instrument a lot. Um, so if if my children are going to be really good at technology or really good at researching and, and learning from technology, then they're probably going to spend a bunch of time on it. Um, and uh, it's important to respect it um, and, and yeah. because... In disrespecting it, I, you then end up sending the message that you disrespect the child. And I think that's not worthwhile in any family, um, but certainly not in unschooling families. Yeah. And and over the years, I've never found balance to be something that was really useful as a goal because balance seemed to be a framework I was trying to put on top of myself or my kids, right? Right. Whereas it tamps down joy, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If we did instead follow our joy, oh my gosh, everything was always so much better. We were so much more engaged. Um, We were just having so much more fun and, and trying to put balance on top of that just really screwed it all up. Right. So it's, and that's why I ended up, you know, calling my website Living Joyfully, not not Living Balanced Lives. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a wonderful mindset shift when we realize that our children are people too and being interrupted can be frustrating, especially when we're in the flow and engaged in our passionate interest. So now let's shift and hear from some grown unschoolers about their experience with video games. First, let's visit with Xander McSwan. Xander left school in the fifth grade when his parents, both education professors, decided the best thing they could do was pull their kids out of school and start unschooling. I asked him how his passion for gaming developed. For me, there are, I think, sort of two really big things that made me sort of go, wow, when I um, discovered gaming. And one part of it was... uh, influence from from family my my cousins on my mom's side were really big video gamers and they were uh, i think between like five and ten years older than me Mm -hmm. and in my eyes they were just like the coolest people uh (laughs) that could walk the earth and uh so when it when they would visit we would uh all sort of play together on our computers whether it was like Warcraft three or sometimes my cousin would let me play Ratchet and Clank on his, uh, PS three and, or PS two, I think it was at the time. Anyway. Uh, so there was this sort of social element where these like really amazing people were showing me this, um, really beautiful and artistic world that I could dive into. And, uh, and it was initially this really social experience of um, getting to sort of play in it like you can almost I think at first I thought of it as like a board game that just was so three-dimensional ah. um, 
And like, there was so much sort of complexity and depth that I was diving into. And I was sort of collaboratively engaging with it, with these people that I just really admired. Um, so that was, I think, a huge component for me. And that continued to be an emphasis on how I engage with gaming throughout my life was that really social component. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece of it I, I want to elaborate more on is I think that uh, a lot of that sort of growth process, especially right around um, the age where I left school, I think I was maybe 10 and, and up and through maybe 15 or 16, is uh, this really sort of intense like uh, period of trial and error of like seeing what it looks like to go into this uh, strange circumstance and, uh, and how that sort of reacts. And um, to someone of that age in particular, video games are this incredible opportunity because they offer this expansive sort of set of possibilities that you can explore. And the, the way the game sort of, so you, in a lot of these games, I don't know how many listeners have played video games before, so I'll maybe go, go a little bit basic, but in a lot of games, you're sort of, um, there's an avatar in the game representing you. And there's this really powerful state of immersion where sort of while you're playing the game, it's not necessarily that you, like in your head, you aren't thinking of yourself as looking at a screen, um, making sort of dots fly across. Uh, you are that character. You know, and often like I think it's there can be a similar experience if you're reading a really good book. Yeah. Like you kind of become that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's I think a similar sort of growth where for me when I was a kid reading stories, a lot of it was like, oh my God, what that would feel like, you know, mm-hmm. to be this character in this book on this great adventure. And then all sort of like the growth of feeling into that archetype and, and seeing what happens. And then video games introduce this whole new um, element to that where not only are you experiencing this like incredible story from sort of a first person perspective, you are also making the choices about where the story goes. Exactly. So you get to choose for yourself what the most like creative thing you can think of is to do. And then you get to see what the results of that are. And I want to clarify, there's, there's sometimes more to it than like, so let's say I'm in a game and I am, it's like a, some kind of combat game. It's not necessarily that I am playing with the possibility of, like fighting some guy on the street and seeing how that turns out for me and then applying that to fighting someone in real life. Um, it's, I think more meaningfully, um, seeing sort of which parts of myself I want to, um, dive into and explore. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and which parts of myself I want to grow and sort of which aspects of that archetype of a hero and which parts of their story and their pain I can really relate with um, and how that all feels. And I think that really supports like especially emotional growth and um, an understanding of sort of what it, what it means to be human through living all of these stories through so many different eyes in such rapid succession. And especially, too, you can even replaying the same game. And I know my son would talk about doing different different way playthroughs, you know, making different choices, um, like taking on different personas, trying them on, seeing how they what happens to them through through the same kind of story, but seeing how it plays out differently. And yeah, that's totally. it's, it's a fancy, uh, wonderful way to um, just just explore like you're talking. You were talking about exploring within the game, too. And 
um, exploring just all the different perspectives that you, you can even play through sometimes in different the different players' perspectives. You can yeah. approach your playthrough, you know, with a different mindset. Oh, you know, what if? And it's even like exploring that mindset for yourself, right? I want to play this. Like, if I thought I was going to be like a superhero, what choices would I make here? If I thought yeah. I, you know, wanted to become the villain, what choices would I make? And and yeah, it's just it's so in depth, isn't it? Totally, and it's so powerful. Like, I I really want to reiterate that. Um, like, especially in, I think, a really good game, one of the things that me and my brother, who also love video games, would love doing was to go through a story as sort of a hero mm-hmm. and, uh, and and experience sort of the conflict from that perspective and be trying to make these really like uh, morally righteous choices yeah. and, and uh, save everyone and help the world. And then also um, to finish the game and then go back through it from the villain's perspective mm-hmm. or like play as the bad guy. And I think in a in a good game, um, it'll really be apparent. Like you'll you'll have the same sense of immersion as that villain, but you'll be like experiencing all sort of the like pain that the villains in that leads to these like really um, harmful choices that the villains making. Um, yeah, because and I think it gives this really broad understanding of conflict as a whole, which is so cool. I love that because a, a well drawn, well created villain you know, believes he's a hero of his story, right? So as you said, he has all these complex, all these things going on. It's just such a way to realize that our perspective isn't the only one, right? What a way to explore that, you know, even in our conversations and engagement with other people, they have different perspectives. It it brings that home so clearly, doesn't it? Yeah. I think one of the really powerful things about video games is being able to sort of uh, take this, what's usually a linear storyline and Mm -hmm. pull it apart to this like hyper complex, um, like sort of sphere of conflicts and, and sub stories and look at it from all different angles and get to just really fully experience that story as um, like an example of what it means to be human. Later in our conversation, I asked Sander about things he's learned through gaming that continue to be relevant in his life now. What threads does he see as he looks back? One of the big ones for me is what we already talked a little bit about, which is um, conflict and perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today I work as a um, sort of a mediator, uh, and I I work with with sort of conflict and, and emotional wellness and uh, do a lot of sort of restorative justice work. And uh, I think a lot of that uh, was something I got to really, like the same sort of consciousness of being able to look into this really sort of um, delicate uh, connection between two humans and see both perspectives and, um, and like value the needs um, expressed by the actions of each person. Uh, and I, I think that I, it's a, a so, so similar to what I got to engage with as a kid, seeing stories play out from two different perspectives and getting to really put myself into the shoes of both the villain and the hero. Um, so, that, so, so that for me was, was a really huge one. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think also the big one was, like I said, that love for adventure and love for independence. Yeah. Um, I noticed I was uh, so happy in games where I got to like um, carry almost nothing with me and uh, go, like, I, was, I was just so fascinated with just the concept, the idea that this person could um, have like enough food for a few days. Um, if I sort of like break down what's happening yeah. in sort of reality as an, if an adventure going forward, this yeah. person had like a backpack with some stuff <laughs> and uh, off they go. Like, like a, <laughs> A few possessions and a little bit of food, and they just go, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, if I if I ignore the parts about like fighting goblins, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> uh, that sort of that sort of core component of there being this this person looking for adventure and like not needing anything but um, themselves and what they have, um, and going and finding a really um, finding the biggest 
meaningful and, and sense of purpose um, in contributing to the world that they can with whatever they can bring um, was so cool. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, I went on this long adventure as a mm-hmm. when I was sort of coming into adulthood. I, um, now I, I really love um, minimalism. It's, it's mostly, I think, as a way of engaging with environmentalism, but but I love, um, yeah, I'm sort of trying to see how much I can contribute to the world um, with as, as little as I have. Mm. Um, and uh, so that's kind of one of the subtle things I think came for me. And then, then with that, just that love of like exploration and adventure and looking for ways to help people. Um, I ended up in my life um, like going on a little bit of an unconventional route, which I'm sure is conventional for unschoolers <laughs> to do. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I skipped college and um, I, I work in, a, in an unusual job and I spend, I think, like slightly more time than I spend working professionally, volunteering. Um, and for me, I think a lot of that comes from this... Uh, part of myself that I got to express through video games of being really committed to helping people and like having the most important thing be a sense of um, purpose and contribution. Xander's story and how he sees his passion for gaming growing up weaving into his life now is so interesting, isn't it? And along that vein, I wanted to share this insight from Max Vernoy in episode 159 Max grew up on schooling and is now a full-time karate instructor. We were talking about how we learn so much about ourselves through following our passions, and he spoke about how much he learned through gaming as a teen. Um, I'm going to sidetrack away from karate for a little bit. Sure. When I was a teenager, I played a lot of this online game called Final Fantasy XI, and that was a huge part of my life to the point where I played it pretty much like a part-time job. Um, and I got very involved with the end game, the highest level of content in the game, <clears throat> and eventually grew to become a leader of the Link Shell in that game, which is basically the guild system similar to World of Warcraft and other games have. Um, and leading that group and organizing these events and planning times for them and running and managing people, all those were skills that I didn't really think about as I was going through it. Um, and all the things I ended up doing in that game as a leader ended up transferring very nicely into my role as a karate instructor now. Um, and those were skills that I didn't, again, didn't think about at the time, but that really shaped and let me become who I wanted to be. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be in charge and I wanted to run things. Um, and that was a great way to kind of see how that developed. I love the thread Max drew from being a guild leader in an online game to being a karate instructor. Now let's hear from Alec Trossett from episode 141 about where his passion for gaming has led him. I asked him about his interests growing up. So I was always focused on basically one thing at a time. Um, And when we started unschooling, for me, that was gaming. Um... So I grew up gaming a lot, and as soon as I had the freedom to, I did it a lot. And a lot of people look at that and they say, wow, I can't believe, you know, your childhood was spent mostly gaming. And um, aside from that, I also loved to play the drums, loved music. But but gaming really was the main big interest for me. And um, I think the main reason is it provided a, a challenge for me. I, I sought out games that challenged me, that made me think, and... Um, basically puzzles to solve, right? And, um, you know, that kind of ties into my eventual interest in math. But um, I was turned off from math at a very young age because I was forced to learn it in this way. And, you know, it did not happen naturally. And it was this artificial construct that, you know, is being shoved in my face that, you know, it works this way because I tell you it works this way. And I wasn't viewing it as a puzzle. But, but video games at the time, they were puzzles, you know, challenges, things, things for me to accomplish, things to uh, challenge me mentally. I, w- I was never the type to get into sports. I never enjoyed challenging myself physically. That's not 
even when I'm drumming, I'm just like, you know, I wish I could play faster. That's like the limitation. I don't yeah. want to put in the physical work to, to play faster because I, I like challenging my head with the more technical aspects of it. But um, so I, I loved being challenged mentally, challenged through, you know, basically anything. So, so video games were the best, the best way for me to do that. Book, reading books, that was too passive for me. Um, watching television, which, you know, I enjoyed. I, I didn't do it as much because, again, it didn't engage me. I wasn't the one making the decisions. I wasn't the one solving the problems. And so, you know, that was a very, a f- very formative thing for me. Even though video games get a very, very bad rap in, in a lot of circles, I think that's improving. I think people are seeing that really it's just a book that has a higher level of interaction and, and, uh, and challenge at times. But... Yeah, I think, you know, that would be a great thing, you know, that you mentioned to speak to a little bit is because that's what I saw with uh, my eldest son, too. Because I remember having video games discussions with your mom many years ago. <laughs> well, he, yeah, I remember I played some video games with him briefly when we when we saw each other. Oh, yeah, ago. that's right, too. That's right, too. But Halo that is the... <laughs> Yeah, that's the joy, right? But it's the, there's so much analytical thinking, like as you talked about puzzles and the the mental challenge of figuring it out, of figuring things out, whether it's, you know, even math, arithmetic on the fly, right? Figuring out levels and, and hit points and all that kind of stuff. But the actual analytical thinking that goes into it just to figure out the puzzle, even if it's not a literal puzzle in the game, the puzzle of how to go through from one place to the next, et cetera, and go from level to level, um, that's, there's really so much learning in there, isn't there? Yep, and that's, that's something that is lost on, on a lot of critics of video games, I think. And, uh, you know, when, when I say, oh, yeah, I grew up playing lots of video games, people are like, oh, that's, well, that's what unschooling is, huh? You just play video games. It's like, but it's not just playing video games. That's one of the things we talk about so much is, um, or we suggest is try playing yourself. Exactly. A little- oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> unless you're playing, and let me tell you, my, my dad does that. My dad plays, plays games. He, play, he likes a game called Snood which is where you're shooting little things up and making things match. It's like one of those, almost like a bejeweled type of thing. Ah. And like, I can't play those. I can't play games like that because they are kind of just mindless relaxation. Yep. And he admits it, you know, and it's cool. It's cool to have a mindless outlet like that. But like, if, if I had been doing games like that all day when I was growing up, I would have been bored out of my mind. So. Well, yeah, you wouldn't have chosen that. That's the whole idea, exactly. right? between being free to, to choose what you're doing. Like people think, oh, if the kids are free to choose, they're just going to choose mindless activities. They won't challenge themselves. They won't choose things that, you know, um, take their mind to the edge of their processing capabilities, push them further, even if it's, if it's a physical, you know, interest that they have, same deal. Why would they bother? But that's something we think that's human, but really that's something we learned growing up on our own and unschooling kids don't learn that. Right. 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 Exactly. It's a, where they move past. That's a, that's an attitude that's developed from being forced to do challenging activities that you don't want to do. Yeah. You know, the the difference is, are you challenging yourself with things you are enjoying versus challenging your thing, challenging yourself with things that have been assigned to you? Those are worlds apart, aren't they? And later in our conversation, Alec talked about when he made the connection between his love for puzzles in games growing up and his interest in math. Like uh, my, my first semester, I had a very, very influential and inspirational uh, math instructor who, yeah, I was, you know, he, he talks about, oh, yeah, I was Alec's first math instructor ever in his life because you know, <laughs> I, I, told, I told him that eventually and talked to him about that. So, you know, he, it was a very, very formative experience for me. And he, he was able to teach math at, not as, you know, this formulaic mm-hmm. um, procedural thing where you, you learn an algorithm and you follow the algorithm and you get your answer, but rather as, you know, a puzzle, as something where you need to figure out how it works in order to solve a problem. 
Alec graduated from UVA with a bachelor's in math and has been accepted into their doctoral program. He plans to ultimately teach math at the university level. So are you guys seeing a pattern here? Well, let's go to episode 180 with Nick Bergson Shilcock. Here's his answer to my question, what were some of the bigger interests of yours growing up and how did you pursue them at the time? Yeah. So, uh, for a long, uh, an early period of my life, I really just enjoyed playing outside. Uh, you know, I built a log cabin and played in the woods with my friends. Um, and I always really enjoyed building things. And then around the age of, I think about 10, I discovered that I could also build things on computers. Uh, initially I was, um, really interested in video games. And so I, my first things that I wanted to do were learn how to program and build my own computer games, um, which started really just playing around with a, an old Apple IIe that I, I got at a garage sale for $20 or something and starting to just explore that system on my own. Um, and then in before too long, I realized that I actually enjoyed the programming even more than uh, just the video games. Uh, and so my interest shifted towards both programming and also a lot of digital electronics. And that was an interest that stuck with me throughout uh, my whole preteen years and teen years, all the way up through college and, and now continues to my work at uh, the Recurse Center. Nick founded and runs the Recurse Center in New York City, a self-directed community-driven retreat space for both new and experienced programmers to take a sabbatical and vastly improve their programming skills. So they had their first batch of, of participants way back in 2011. And last fall, they moved to a new and larger space. Just so you know, you can check out some pictures of the new location on the transcript page for that episode. And finally, let's go to last week's episode, number 181, with Jack and Sean O'Brien, and hear how they answered the same question about their interests growing up unschooling. So I think a lot of what I was able to do uh, being unschooled, I, I just played a lot of video games um, <laughs> for like a really long time. And, uh, and I got really into that. And I, I don't think I was able to sort of realize the value of that until more recently. Um, but I eventually sort of got bored of just sitting around playing video games. And that's when I went to Madison Technical College or Technical School Technical Center, that's the one. That's um, <laughs> I took an animation class there. Um, and so looking back on that, I think that's really like a way that I was able to pursue my interests into something beyond video games. Um, but even like aside from that, I think I just, I just played a lot of games. And I, mm -hmm. I think that was actually really, really beneficial because it was nice to just get to do what I wanted. I think I actually learned a lot um, from that, that yeah. whole experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can jump in on the thing. That'll be most of my answer, probably. Um, but I, and I think that was, I mean, so it was, it was just an interest and it was fun, obviously. But I really do think it was, it was a way to challenge ourselves, which was a big mm -hmm. thing. Because when you're unschooled, you don't have the same, the daily, the homeworks and like all, you know, like the, the constant like work necessarily. Right. Um, and it was this way, it was this really like fun and natural way to challenge ourselves and kind of use our brains and just like, different puzzles and different stuff like all you know all the time and in fun ways that actually interest us um and then like sean was saying with going to mtc how that was kind of like then continuation of like yeah it was like the next step yeah of of that natural interest and i think for me i kind of started getting into a lot of games where i would i would work with people online and i would get in teams online and like do a lot of like communication and i was and i learned i was just like picking up so much about like talking to people and like how to like get my team to work together and stuff. And then that's totally gone into like what I want to do now is like, I'm interested in psychology and like people and like just, you know, communication and all of that is like such a passion of mine now. Um, so I, I think like video games, just the breadth of, of things you can do in video games and different, I don't know. There's so much. There's like something for everyone. Yeah. It'll, it'll yeah, feel like it'll lead into just about every skill or like, or like practical skill. Yeah. I love that. And I think they nailed it. I think video games really are a wonderful window to the world. 
a fun and engaging way for people, for children, to explore their interests. In just the handful of conversations that I've shared here, we've heard from parents who've seen it in action, and we've heard from unschooled kids about how they've discovered interests in art and animation, psychology and communication, math, computer programming, leadership, and storytelling through their love of video games. Even though they didn't know at the time where their gaming might go, they were following what they were fascinated by and enjoying their days. As unschooling parents, when we focus on supporting our children as they follow their interests and passions, including video games, they learn so much about themselves and the things they want to do in the world. I hope you found this compilation interesting, and I wish you a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the Tuck Talks. For six years, I hosted the Toronto Unschooling Conference. It was an amazing experience, and I loved meeting many wonderful unschooling families. Though I no longer host the conference, the unschooling insights shared by the amazing speakers over the years are timeless. You can listen to all 25 talks for free on my website at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash conference. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.